This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code FakeTheNation. Go to TryMiracle.com slash FakeTheNation. And Miracle so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to TryMiracle.com slash FakeTheNation and use the code FakeTheNation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash FakeTheNation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 261. Hello, hello. Welcome to Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we celebrate five whole years of podcasting. That's right. I'm your host, Nikki Forsad, and I realized today as I was um, going over the topics for the show that it has been five years. Now, HeadGum was kind enough to celebrate our 250th episode a couple months ago, but here's another milestone. Uh, and today, we're going to ask our celebrities ruining podcasting, which felt like a good thing to talk about on a five-year anniversary. What is happening with Texas and with Joe Biden? And finally, collective effervescence, what is it and are you doing it? Today, I'm so excited by the panel. Today, folks, oh my God, uh, we have with us an actor, a writer. You've seen him on on shows like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and on Love, Simon. Uh, you have heard his podcast, of which he is the host, Soul Bomb. Folks, it is the wonderful Clark Moore. Hey, Clark. Hi, Nagin. Thanks for having me. Oh, my God. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show for the very first time. Hopefully not the last. Uh, if if me, and, me and this next panelist don't fuck up your experience. It uh, has happened before. It, it has. <laughs> <laughs> we literally can't talk about it, but it has it happened has before happened. with like a ridiculously crazy high level person. Anyways. Um, <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> so that 
voice you heard and you know. You know him from these very five years. My first question is going to be for Benari. Uh, is he's a comedian. He is a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces. He's a part of a book that is out now that you should be immediately purchasing. It's called True War Stories. It's an anthology series, and you can read his piece in there. It's just so fantastic. And he's he's just one of my good friends uh, in, in like in Los Angeles now, unfortunately. But in my mind, he's always in New York City. Folks, <laughs> it's Benari Poulton. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here for all these momentous occasions. I feel... I feel like if there's a milestone in Fake the Nation, I I, I need to be a part of it. You need to be, and you are. And so this is my first question before we get into the podcast, is that, so we started this podcast the week after July 4th, mm-hmm. which is where we are now, in 2016. It was, a, put, put yourself back in that moment, Benar, you were probably on the second ever episode of Fake the Nation. So where what was the vibe in the country July 2016 versus now? <laughs> well, the insanity was that we were barreling towards Trump locking up the Republican, not like he had taken yeah. the, the takeover of the Republican Party. And basically the mood was like, well, they imploded. There's no ch- like <laughs> we're witnessing the end of the Republican control of all our branches <laughs> of government. Let's just get ourselves to November because, you know, now we can get a whole bunch of shit done. That I feel like was the mood in July. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. Very different. Very like, let's different. Just sit back and they'll take care of just offing themselves. You know, they're, and they're, what's funny, too, is I fucking... Like, I, I had this conversation with the people um, at the last podcasting network I was on, Earwolf, uh, and, I, you know, I remember the wonderful Chris Brandon said to me, like, wow, you guys have been talking about Trump a lot. This was, like, after the first few mm-hmm. weeks. And he was dominating the news, right? It was, yeah. like, he was dominating the news for the first time, like, in our lives, right, in that way. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just, it's a novelty, and it'll be done in November, so let's just write it out. And it'll be done in November. We won't have to talk about him ever again. You know what I mean? And I I remember specifically saying, don't worry. Come November, we won't have to talk about him ever again. (laughs) There was absolutely that feeling of, uh, of... like this will be, this will just go the way of the Macarena. Yeah, like, exactly. It's so batshit crazy, and we'll look back at this and just be like, "Oh yeah, remember that fad?" Completely. <laughs> that is now its own like QAnon conspiracy <laughs> subsect, which is apparently half of the voting population. Uh, of I don't mean to today. laugh at uh, QAnon, but you know, yeah, it 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 uh, that's that's so true. Um, thank you, Benari, for being with being with us since episode number two. Thank Thank you, Clark, for joining us now on episode number uh, 261. Uh, (laughs) Let us get into it uh, with topic number one. Okay, so podcasting since the pandemic has seen a distinct trend of celebrities. They have been launching podcasts by the droves, including the likes of Julie Andrews, Minnie Driver, Joss Stone, Paris Hilton, Rob Lowe, Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, Will Arnett, Bruce Springsteen, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Snoop Dogg, Gwyneth Paltrow, Lena Dunham, Oprah, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And the list goes on. But why does it go on? Uh, are these celebrities ruining podcasting? And oh, special thanks to um, to Caleb. He's he's one of our um, 
loyal listeners who who uh, sh- he who showed me an article in the Guardian where, that talked about this and and uh, gave us the idea for this topic. Uh, so let me. What are your thoughts uh, on whether or not? I mean, I guess first, do you listen to any of these celebrity podcasts? I've, I, I mean, I don't mean for you. You know, we don't need to like dump on celebrities whose affections we want and whose uh, employment power we yearn for. But uh, <laughs> but are there? You know, what what do you think of this trend? I listen to a lot of them. I listen to a lot of podcasts in general, and I sort of am uh, at being one of the people who did launch a podcast in that last year. I <laughs> feel like I have to <laughs> right some of what I'm saying. Um, I will. I always say, though, I, we were developing our show for uh, about two years prior because other things got in the way. We were trying to find networks or support or whatever. So it wasn't a 2020 idea. I do have to I feel like I have to say that. But, um, <laughs> it's OK. We don't judge you. We don't judge you. I come down on the side of being an avid podcast listener of like more is more. You know, I love it's almost like. I, I have these these dual thoughts in my head every single day. It's like on the one hand, there are so many podcasts. I'm drowning in them. I could never possibly listen to all of them. And yet at the same time, every time I go to plug in my uh, my headphones to take my dog on a walk, there's no podcast to listen to. I've listened to all of them, right? Yes, so I like, have that same feeling. So I listen to a lot of them. I listen to Smart List. You mentioned um, I, I listened to uh, Lena Dunham's in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love them. I say the more the merrier. Benari. Um, let me, uh, let me just, let me just give you a counterpoint. Um, <laughs> uh, I do. I love listening to celebrities. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but one thing I will say, same situation as Clark. Um, I'm actually, uh, in development and we're launching a, a kid's podcast soon. Um, through uh, Tinkercast, give a little plug. Be on the lookout for that. I'm sure people will hear about it on your show when it uh, when it indeed, drops. Indeed. But we started developing it as TV. You know, years prior, the pandemic sort of shifted a lot of resources and attention toward the podcasting space, which is how we ended up there. But we're we're doing a civic show for kids. And let me just tell you who the other people in the space. It was myself and my creative partner, Mary, who were developing the show. And then our competition was literally, literally Lin-Manuel Miranda, Chris (laughs) Me, Barack and Michelle Obama and Malala over at Apple. Like and then us. So like it's like these are the people developing shows. And you can imagine who got first cracked at all the networks right. and then their own podcast. And it's like when you're sitting there and you're in a space where you're like, oh, my podcast or my idea is going to go up against Barack Obama. What else yeah. does the guy need? <laughs> I mean, he's president of the United States. What do you come, come on my podcast? You don't need your own podcast. Like save yeah. some for us, because the problem I, I have is like celebrities are great to get people interested in listening to your your weekly podcast but when the weekly podcast is the celebrity mm-hmm. it just like one ups like you've now cut out any need for like the regular folk it's just all celebrity all the time right and it and it also that's a different world like it's fun to hear celebrity stories it's great i love listening to gossip and all the behind the scenes and you know that high level but they're not living a life like us. No. Right. right. I think we have to deal with. Yeah, but that I think is the one thing that I've noticed most about my own listening to celebrity podcasts. And I do listen to a lot. You know, I, I have listened to a lot. I have to say, 
that I, in recent months I have bristled more and more at some of the celebrity podcasts because there is like an effort they make. The good ones make an effort to seem normal, right? Right. But we mm. all know that they're not, they're very wealthy. Like they're not yes. normal. They're very wealthy. They have to wear sunglasses wherever they go, unless, bless their hearts, they live in New York City, in which case we don't bother them. But like, <laughs> they, ha- you know, they're, no- they're noticed and it's, it's a different type of life. Uh, they have, you know, a lot of help and service and, you know, stuff that we just don't have. So the, so the good ones make it seem like they're normal. And then, uh, but then it's like, it, but it's not a foolproof plan. Like I can tell they're not normal. You know what I mean? I can tell that they live right. a haunted life. And so I get like a little frustrated and then I'm sort of like, what am I listening to? I don't know. And then I get a little annoyed about what I'm listening to because then I think, Benari, again, like you're saying, and it becomes the celebrity is the podcast. And so then you're hearing your, their stories there. And then you're hearing them on other podcasts because they're trying to boost their own numbers on other podcasts. Right. And so then everything just becomes a, like, you know, about someone's first drama class in high school and the funny story. And then it's just like, I don't know. Do I? How many times do I need to hear that? I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I say yeah. this as a fucking person who's had celebrities on this podcast. Like, but and you is, are both, you know, celebrities. And I'm talking but about- there's tears, or There's right? tears, there's, yes. There's tears. And right. I feel like what we've done away with now is like the launching pad. You know, like the podcast right. was to be like, I'm doing a podcast so that people get interested in me and then give me a job on- you know, radio or television or this. And then, the you know, and then it used to be there was like, oh, I will start out here and then I'll move up to this tier. And now like movie stars and like actual ex-presidents of the United States are doing, are operating in the same space that we're operating. There's no more launching pad. There's no right. more, there's, it's all just, you know, you have to be A-list top tier to even do this thing that was supposed to be egalitarian right. and the great equalizer. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, then, the intimacy is sort of gone in that way. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. And and I think, well, another thing, this this Guardian piece called Our Celebrities Ruining Podcasting, um, that they pointed out is that an in- increasing um, feature of po- documentary podcasts is bringing in celebrities to narrate. So if it's like journalists who do all of this amazing reporting work and they put together this like really compelling like eight part documentary piece, they'll get like Whitney Cummings or something to narrate all of this fabulous reporting because they're worried that without someone like Whitney Cummings, people will not listen to that. And it's interesting to me because the thing about audio is that it existed for several fucking decades, what, maybe even a century, right? When was radio? I don't remember. But for several decades, we had these compelling... Well over a century now. Yeah. We're 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 hitting the century mark now. Right, exactly. So, like, we have been able to handle a world of radio. It was called NPR. that gave us compelling (laughs) documentary without the narration of celebrities, right? So it's sort of like we don't... We don't need it. Sort of. I, I also like. I also find it strange when you hear like a toothpaste commercial, and you're like, "Is that John Krasinski's voice?" Or no, you know what I, I mean? You're like, "Did I need? I don't. Is it like? Is anyone moved by John Krasinski? Like he's great. I love John Krasinski, but like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I hate it. I hate it because it's like it is also as it, we're, we all do voiceover yes, work. Yes. We all. You're up again. You're up. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna do this 30 second Ford spot or whatever. Oh no, I'm not because Alec Baldwin has to to. 
narrate this. Yeah, like, yeah, Why, yeah, why yeah. do you have Alec Baldwin selling you Ford or whatever he's selling? Right. I don't know. I just know that that's the thing is we're now being conditioned to like if I don't hear the celebrity, this product or this thing I'm listening to is not worth it. They can't. They couldn't even get John Krasinski. <laughs> You know, yeah, it is interesting, too, because I've, you know, listening to there are a couple of the like legacy podcasts that have gone back. You know, I think of Mark Marin, right? Um, you know, like these podcasts that have been around who were sort of in the trenches doing it when no one was right. Doing like the early, you know, the mid 2000s people or whatever. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it is the, the sort of exponential growth curve of this last year and a half when everyone realized there was money to be made um, is it's kind of insane. And speaking to the development process as well, one of the things that's I had a podcast a couple of years ago that was literally like me recording on my iPhone in my living room, publishing it through an RSS feed, you know, like uh, the I'm not particularly tech savvy, but it was one step below like fishing line and you know, <laughs> broadcasting out from my bedroom. Right. Um, and uh, and it was very like I would mention it to people and people would be like, oh, I don't even know what a podcast is. I've never mm-hmm. heard of. Oh, yeah. like, oh, I guess I do have that app on my phone. Um, but now in these conversations with development, it's like the built into the contracts are okay. And then we'll do a, t- a television deal and then we'll do this movie and then we'll do this and we could go scripted or we could do this. And it's like, it's crazy. It's like developing podcasting is, is just as competitive and intense as developing um, television. television yeah. And then the other thing I'll just say, and this is maybe like a little bit in the weeds, but like, I think some of this drama um, is known, um, you know, has been covered in kind of trade stuff is that some, one of the things that has happened is that if you're a part of a network and there's some celebrities on that network, the ad selling goes to the celebrity shows and Correct. not to the other right. shows. And so the way that like people are supposed to like, you know, make a living from their podcast or whatever, like earn something from the labor of their podcast was through ads. Um, and that became extremely difficult if you're competing with celebrities for ads, you know, because obviously people want the celebrities to do their ads. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, uh, so that's, that's been an issue at a lot of, um, well, you know, isn't podcast that also, networks. And isn't that also speaking to a little bit of this whole move toward we're no longer, we're no longer like creating shows or art we're creating content we are content yeah, creators yeah, and the yeah, content yeah. that that um is most appreciated is the content that sells the most amount of ads for the the least amount of yeah. money that they put into it yeah and so the return on investment is automatically going to favor celebrities because celebrities are immediately going to have the, a larger the, audience built in, they have a larger our audience um they're more likely to bring in other uh big name investors or people to like listen to and and ad sales and ad buys and things like that so as it moves more towards that that's the real problem is like everything is moving towards benefiting the big corporations that are buying up all these small little boutique pod you know they're very few i mean you look where you are now like the, you know you, yeah. you have this is that that startup energy of podcasting from from years ago is almost gone everything yeah. is oh, is as professional as any network now um, yeah. and the rough around the edge we're losing some of like the rough around the edges they're, yeah. We're losing some of that, like, I'm just going to start a podcast because I can start it anywhere. And if it's good, people will listen to it. Now, it almost has to come out of the gate with, like, being well-developed and researched and marketed. Yeah, but and, and or they, you just, yeah. you need to, Obama has to be on every podcast. 
you know? <laughs> I'll take him. Yeah, like I'll I'm developing a, I mean, a podcast about like sci-fi movies and doing spoilers on every sci-fi movie yeah. and Obama's a tat. You know what I mean? It like has to literally be, um, and it's- And we, uh, welcome, we welcome the Obamas. And I'll, I absolutely, Anytime. please, I'm here Anytime. for you. Uh, but uh, it, it is, it is, you know, it is ridiculous. And I think also- with celebrities, the inter- the thing is like they all kind of want to interview each other, <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> but I would also suggest doing other things with each other. Like, it, can you talk about something else? Like sex things? I- are, you, are you pitching a celebrity <laughs> sex podcast? And I-, I would subscribe. For example, Banari, For example, can we? Yes, I'd like to innovate in the celebrity <laughs> podcasting world more into this into sex, also more into le- oranges or anything. You know, just like a produce. <laughs> podcast hosted by a celebrity would be interesting. Uh, no, but I mean, I think the the just like the sameness of the format that they choose is, I think, can be a little snooze fest. You know what I mean? Right. I, but not that it ma- not that it matters because again, like if I think if I if I think that that format is like overdone by celebrities because. Literally, I think I saw a headline that said Smartless was get, renewing its contract for like $20 million or something. And that's a podcast with Sean Hayes, Jason Bateman, and Will Arnett. And it's really fun. And they're so fucking fun, right? But right, yeah, $20 right. million. That is... Um, I mean, it's a lot like what I make here at Fake the Nation. Kidding! I have a Patreon, folks. What? But think about like, but think about like the fans who are like, oh, I want to talk about like, I just want to get my friends together and we're going to talk about Will and Grace. And then the actual cast of Will and Grace is like, we're going to do a podcast talking Where about Will and Grace. Where we talk, right, 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 right. Which right. one are you going to listen to? I don't need to talk about these people that just love the show. I'm going to listen to the actual cast of the show. Oh my god! But I think yeah. that is where that's where I'll circle back to my original point is that I. I want both. Mm-hmm. Like right, I want right, to hear right, because right. I think there is an element of like the inside just in that fantastic example, because I am a, happen to be a Will and Grace mm-hmm. fanatic and happen to have list, watched every single episode at least 20 times in the, you know, since my childhood, I actually had a box. This is a complete tangent, yes. but I had a box set of the Will and Grace <laughs> seasons that I got for my birthday when I came out. Thanks, Kira, my best friend who bought those for me. Uh, but I, I, I sort of see like the holistic, the one pro of this moment of all these people adding in is like, in that example, we get to have the behind the scenes, we get to have the like, oh, and remember that time when we couldn't remember our lines and all the stuff that we, we right, don't get. Right, right. But I also get to have the feeling of, there is still that separation. Right, you the, know, fan, I'm not the fandom feeling. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And like sitting around talking with my friends about the show yes. is a different experience than t- listening to Sean Hayes talk about being on set and shooting it. And so that's my one, that's my one pro for this moment is that I get to have more. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, being as people who, who do podcasting, podcasting is really hard. And I just don't see these people <laughs> continuing. Like I think sticking with it. Of, like, yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah like I also see that. a lot of the publicists being like, you need to get a Twitter you need to get an Instagram. Right, right. You, you need, need to get a podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah, totally. You need to totally. become a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of it's going to fall away now that 
things are opening oh, back right, up. Right. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, back. I have to go like shoot in Milan for three months. Right. I can't keep my podcast going, you know? Right. <laughs> totally. Right. And you promised me that I was going to make $20 million when I sold this to Spotify and no one's buying it because I'm not a list. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's all the, the like buzziness and the excitement of those big deals make all the rest of the people who get into it think like, oh, all I have to do is press record and I'll make $20 million. <laughs> right. like, war- no, yeah, babe. folks, any, for anyone who's listening, uh, you will not get $20 million. I just, just so <laughs> yeah. you're clear. All right, folks, let me know what you think. Oh, I wanted to share with you guys this one thing, which I, I may have mentioned on the show before, but if I haven't, I was once like one of the contenders for a hosting job for a podcast. And um, it was down to me and I don't know, a couple of other people or whatever. Uh, or maybe it was me between me and the, just this one other person. And anyways, I went through the, you know, a few interviews, met a bunch of people, da, 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 big podcasting network, whatever. And um, the finally, the job went to Jerry Springer. So, okay. Is, was he okay, even in the mix? Was he even in the mix at that time, though? Like, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 in my mind, they were like, God, when you want a podcast host, it's either Nagin Farsad or Jerry Springer are the first two right. people that come to mind. Like, those are, they're always we're going in contention. In a different direction, <laughs> we're going in what? a radically different direction, Nagin. All right, folks, you guys let me know what you think. Are celebrities ruining podcasts for you, or do you love all the celebrities? Podcast. I don't know. Let me know. Give me some some uh, recs. I'll take them. Uh, let's take a, a, a quick break uh, and hear a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk about Texas. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. 
grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. On Monday, a group of Democratic legislators fled Texas. This is some old school shit. They literally <laughs> fled the state in order to stop the GOP from voting on a measure that would restrict voting. Why is this happening? I guess that's just my first question. <laughs> what is the... We love a strike. We love a strike moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we love drama. It's we sure do. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love a dramatic walkout? It's so Just. dramatic. <laughs> it's also the second time they've done that in like yeah. this year. Um, it, well, so they're trying to base. So if they're di- d- denying the House a quorum, so without a quorum of of representatives, they can't actually hold the vote. And they fled actually to Washington D.C. Um, because I guess they thought you know going to D.C. would make it more of a national issue. They would get more press attention, which they did. But also because Governor Abbott said he would arrest them so they had to leave the state so that that arrest uh, you know that they they couldn't be arrested um, across uh, state lines so uh, I so I thought that was crazy um, do you Benari do you think this is like a politically savvy move I mean what do you think is going to happen I th- think this was their last move left. Well, (laughs) only this is their only move. Okay, this was the only move because there was no more negotiation. Look, we're in a very I can't overstate this enough. We're in a crisis point. This wasn't just legislation about, you know, Republicans have walked out over climate change like both sides of the aisle have done political maneuvering like this. This is literally about voting rights. This is literally about Texas. It in this law is a provision to allow judges based on complaints to just overturn an election and install someone. This is, I mean, this is fundamentally anti-democratic legislation that not only restricts voting rights, but but radically changes the way elections will be run in the state of Texas. And Texas isn't the only state doing this. And Texas Texas is just the boldest state doing this. But we've seen the voting restriction uh, laws in, I think, 18 states. We've seen what's happened in Georgia. We've seen what's happening in a lot of these uh, red states, specifically with Republican legislatures, who have just decided, you know, our future is not in winning over um, the popular vote. Our our future, we don't have the numbers. We don't have the policies to win over, which is usually how people got elected is we, oh, we have popular policies, so people vote for us. They don't, they've just decided we don't have that. The only way we can win is by we're in power now. We're going to change the rules, restrict the rules, and prevent more people from voting or as many people as voting as possible and consolidate our power. And Democrats have walked out in Texas to bring light to this of like, hey, this is a serious fucking issue right now. I know that you're, you love the fucking filibuster, but you, we need federal legislation because the states are going to fuck us. 
Um, and and I, I want to point out, so what they did walk out before, right, on exactly mm-hmm. this bill. And as a, uh, and because they walked out, they managed to ha- get another version of the bill that was a little bit less heinous, though still heinous. And by the way, for, for those of you who don't know why this is heinous, um, the, the bill wants to outlaw 24-hour polling places. They want to ban ballot drop boxes. They want to empower partisan poll watchers. Anyways, among the reasons <laughs> so why it's heinous. But they, I, I know, I know. It's insane. But the restricts Sunday voting, I think, too. Right. Yes. So this is so one of the things that they managed to get rid of um, was they were going to get rid of early voting on Sundays and Republicans agreed to remove that. So the earlier version of the bill, that's because the Democrats um, walked out. And uh, and the, and again, that just, you know, so people know, like Sunday is the day that t- you traditionally used by African-American voters. And the earlier version would have made it easier for judges to overturn elections. So they kind of they got rid of those like real shitty uh, components of the bill. So walking out actually did help make the bill a little less horrible. But it's just weird, Clark. Right. Because like it's not like we don't want to. It's it's hard. I'm like, oh, let's compromise some more. But like the compromise is like, let people vote. I mean, the compromise is right. like, let's do exactly <laughs> the opposite of this. Any of these bills. You know what I mean? Right. This is the problem with with politics at the moment, like everything being so charged mm. that like even the context of compromise requires two rational sides yeah. and two sides that have like any common ground or or like. Uh, one that isn't a side specifically targeting black voters, you know, like mm-hmm. there's n- there's no compromising when uh, th- this is one of the things that I've, I've read a lot about over this past year in sort of the conversations we've been having about racial justice and um, uh, sort of like the way we contextualize politics and um, identity in, in America in general, how <clears throat> the Overton window has shifted so far to the right, wherein in order to have a conversation about the spectrum, you first have to identify both sides of that spectrum. And when one side is all the way over in alt-right territory or like specifically white supremacist territory, there is no compromise with people who are like, okay, well, we don't want a white supremacist nation. And they're like, okay, but we do. So right, like you're like it, you, the the Overton window is essentially that the like that having a white supremacist country is now in the conversation where before it just like wasn't in the country. Like yes. that is the problem. It's not too rational sides of the argument like it yeah. you know and I, and again like I, I i know we've always been fundamentally fucked up on certain levels but it wasn't during the reagan administration the other side was like but we don't like taxes right so it's like okay right. that's i get it you know what i mean like right that we're makes not sense. talking right we're not talking about like business uh deregulation here. yeah you know we are talking about fundamentally one side is denying right. half the country's humanity so it went from and, like and, or, or and, forgetting and that if it's like, a compromise there yeah if you and, and if you don't want to even bring race into the conversation you could just say it's about one side wanting to just completely 
get rid of actual democracy, like how mm -hmm. democracy yeah. functions, you know? And then you're like, but that's, yep. can you guys go back to that thing with deregulation? Because that was way more, like, doable, you know? <laughs> um, I also want to point out that in 2003, they all the Texas legislators also walked out, left the state. A lot of them went to New Mexico and Oklahoma, and this was over gerrymandering. And I had, there was this fun little detail is that one, it lasted for a long time, but this one senator broke ranks and came back. And a lot of the senators were complaining that they didn't pack enough clothes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then also the, the GOP in Texas had threatened to strip Democrats of their parking spaces yeah. and tow their cars. So anyways, it, things got ridiculous. <laughs> but I just love the idea that like whether or not you packed enough clothes got involved in democracy in 2003. It's just a fun detail. Um, this is my favorite part of the story, yeah. though, because as uh, as high as the stakes are, you can never get past petty office politics. Yeah, totally. You know, like, totally. Sharon, I will tow your car. OK, <laughs> you know, like you can imagine that back and forth of like, uh, you know, I've had those conversations with my with my coworkers in the past. And it's nice to see that this happens at the highest levels of government. No, exactly. It comes because they're people, right? Yeah. People will respond. Um, you know, I'm going to tell you something. People respond to a pizza party. You know, to, mm -hmm. like free pizza is something you I bet you there have been some th shit that have that has gone down in a good way because pizza was involved. You know what I mean? Like I there's because they're people, they're people like they you, they can be plied with food and drink and uh, threats of, you, you know, their parking spaces. It's all, <laughs> you know, um, shifting gears a little bit. So Biden is on tour right now, our president. He's on tour right now, giving speeches, trying to explain and inspire about infrastructure and about all the shit he's trying to do. Um, but he just gave a speech in Illinois the other day and it was a 31 minute speech. And literally after the speech, he was like, look, I know that was a boring speech. He literally used the word boring about his own speech. <laughs> so my question is like, does Biden have a boring problem or is it a boring advantage? <laughs> what do you think? I, I was thinking about this last night. It's something that I've been thinking about since literally since the moment he took the stage yeah. in front of all of those what was it, Jeeps? Um, <laughs> the red, white, and blue Jeep yeah. in the parking lot? Yeah. Um, and because I remember like the excitement and all of the lead up to it and what a cathartic emotional experience it was to, to elect him. And I sit down and he starts speaking and about 30 seconds into the speech, I was thinking about my laundry and my <laughs> grocery. And I was like, whoa, this is a brand new feeling. Right. It, it was a familiar feeling, one from, from before when I had to like actively pay attention to speeches by politicians. But it was, it was such a refreshing feeling because I think there, I will say, I think there are dangers to, to both, but at least being lulled into complacency is better for my heart yeah. than like <laughs> stress and anxiety right. and waking up every day being like, is the world literally on fire because of him? You know, like all of those things. Now there's that, that added, I have to get myself up out of bed figuratively. I have to like remind myself to yeah. tap in because I'm sort of like calm but it's, it's definitely a refreshing place to be compared to these last four years. Benari, is it is boring um, strategery or uh, should they do more? Look, long term 
longtime Fake the Nation listeners know that my pitch for Biden way back when mm. was that this guy is not going to make you march in the streets. This guy is going to get in there. He knows how government works. It's not exciting. It's not flashy. It's not sexy. But you know someone's there who knows how to do it. And you don't have to think about it. You get on with your life. And I think that there's there's also something that is fundamentally beautiful about this moment of we're fighting fascism, right? And we're fighting the cult of personality. Um, mm. And part of the problem, look, Plato, we go back to Plato. He didn't, Plato did not believe that democracy could work because Plato felt that there was always going to be some demagogue that can take over the levers of power and get this, this, uh, you know, and, and get the masses all fired up. And then, and then you have tyranny, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. then they just overthrow democracy on their own. And with, with, with the with the with the steady boring hand of Joe Biden, it's it's bureaucratic. It's the it's just the the engines of the system moving. And then we, as the people who actually have the real power, we have to say, oh, if I want to get this done, I I have to go do this this and this, or I have to now. I'm not waiting for someone to fix this for me. I'm not waiting for this flashy figurehead to solve all our problems. Nobody expects. Biden to come in and revolutionize and radically change the system like they did Obama, right? And a lot of the disappointment in Obama was that, oh, Obama came in and we had hope and change and everyone expected Obama had powers, magic powers that he didn't have right? Um, because that's not how government works and democracy works. And so with someone like Biden, we actually have, I think, a better idea of how democracy actually works and the way in which we can empower ourselves and work within a system that at least has an adult in charge, someone who knows and believes that the system can work. Right, and the thing is, the system is about spreadsheets and filing systems. You know what I mean? Literally. That's why these fucking speeches are boring, because yeah. that is, like, I'm, and I speak as someone who, uh, when I was um, a policy person <laughs> uh, working for the Campaign Finance Board in New York City, bless their hearts, campaign finance is one of these things, you know, people talk about it, we should take get money out of politics, we need a campaign finance program. New York City has that campaign finance program. It is, like, a, an example for the entire country when they talk about campaign finance reform new york's is the one they refer to right it is so exciting that we have it here it's so meaningful it's gotten so many people to be able to run for office yeah. that said i was there and you know who was with me my fellow nerds and you know what yep. we did every day spreadsheets that's what we did every day you know and and that's the thing it's like it's not glamorous work it's just it's it's tough detailed sometimes boring fucking work and it's hard to make a speech out of that and he is definitely not the best guy to speechify you know uh you want i mean it's like you want to get you want to get alec baldwin in there you want to get one of these podcasters <laughs> in there right. you know what i mean stop podcasting go make some really dramatic speeches about uh trade agreements you know what i mean and then let's see right. how fucking good you are um so anyways all right folks let me know does biden have a boring problem or a boring advantage uh and now we shall move on to our final topic for the day. Topic number three. 
So we read a piece in the New York Times called There's a Specific Kind of Joy We've Been Missing by Adam Grant. And in it, he talks about the lack of collective effervescence, which is an unfortunate term that immediately makes me think of orgies. But that's not actually what he's talking about. He's talking about that moment when you're in a group, a very large group, like a concert hall or a stadium or even like a yoga class or whatever, and you experience like a big, like a thing together. You just experience a thing together. During the pandemic, we didn't get to have those. And now, uh, you know, theoretically, we can um, have you guys miss this. Like, Clark, did you at any point during the pandemic realize that you missed this? Uh, and and have you been doing it? I, I love that he put a name to it because <clears throat> it's something that's always been really important to me. I love live performance, both as an audience member and as a performer. And it's something you can't get. You can't sort of manufacture that feeling in any other way. It's very organic. And it's it's generally one of the things that I've missed most about um, cities like New York, uh, where people are sort of, you have moments of collective effervescence, I'll use his term, even on the subway, just like walking down the street, there are moments where you tap into that universal oneness of being a member of a community. And it's something that's always been really important to me. It's something that in LA, I found one has to build mm, consciously. Mm -hmm. And so it, I kind of was probably already a little bit uh, depleted in my collective effervescence. But um, I sort of, in this past year, I went too far to the isolation side. I got a little bit too comfortable <laughs> alone in my house. And I think I'm now starting to, I'm still a little wary. I mean, I'm vaccinated, of course, but I'm still a little like nervous around people. And so um, I've not yet experienced it in this new post-vaccination world. Uh, can I also just, uh, just a correction there. The the concept was coined by Emile Durkheim in um, like around World War One. just so we give credit where credit is due on the creation of <laughs> random terms like this. But apologies, Emile. But, uh, <laughs> but Nari, <laughs> so there's research actually that I didn't know if you found surprising. One of the things they pointed out in the article is that people laugh five times as often when they're with others than when they're alone. Uh, yeah. That emotions are basically inherently mm -hmm. social. Does that ring true for you? I mean, I find all research surprising, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this one, uh, no, this one rings true because I do comedy clubs and we, you know right. that there is, uh, and, and having I've just re-entered the world of doing comedy in person again. And I have to say, one, the people who are coming out to shows want to fucking be there. They oh, want to have yeah. a good time. They do not take this social experience for granted. Um, and I think maybe there's a little bit of that going into it pre-pandemic of like, oh, we can just be out and about. You Like now people go out and they're like, this like we I'm going to enjoy myself because this is a this experience might not last. Um, but we also know, like you play to, to crowds, the crowd has a personality as a crowd. Oh, yeah. And, and you get people laughing and you get people going that builds on itself. 
And if you start on the wrong foot or you start antagonistic, that becomes the personality. Um, you know, anything can throw can throw off a show. The, the wrong lighting, people aren't drinking enough, the air conditioning's not working. All these little things affect our behavior in, in, in these moments. And I think we're much more aware now of like how much that affects us socially, but how how social we are just as beings living in the world. Like there's an element that we need that, that we need. Yeah. And you know what? You're social not, animals. Again, also uh, more research that you'll find surprising. The, the phenomenon of like laughter being contagious or whatever, literally it, it's called emotional contagion. Um, and they they found that, you know, in almost all their studies, people don't realize that they're g- being affected by other people's emotions. And mm-hmm. so one thing, Clark, I'm wondering from your year of sort of like, because I didn't have the this experience of retreating inward. I had right. the experience of like, I'm doubling down on going outside and trying to get what I can. <laughs> like, so I didn't get it. So like, like, and, and by the way, uh, again, research found that three quarters of people experience before COVID, three quarters of people experience collective effervescence at least once a week and almost a third experienced it at least once a day. And I think I'm wow. one of that third that experienced it at least once a day because, and so the thing is that, emotional contagion also happens in happiness stuff, right? Like people are laughing, kind of makes you laugh. That I think we've all experienced. We've all been at a show where that happens, or we've all been in movie mm-hmm. theater where, where people are laughing. At a, and then you watch that same movie alone and you're not laughing, you know what I mean? Like you're mm-hmm. not laughing. So that kind of totally makes sense. But there's something that happened during the pandemic, which is crazy to me, but totally makes sense, is that... Um, the, the science of contagion, and this is from the article, suggests that negative emotions we feel from video call over video like conference call, Zoom call overuse could be partially driven by hours of communicating with people who are also sad, stressed, lonely, mm-hmm. or tired. So that you got the emotion. You you may have been having a good day, but you got on a Zoom call and other people were like, eh, because most people were like, eh, during the pandemic. And so right. it led to this collective, like, Sad feeling. Draining. Do you, da- yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like did did that does that ring true for you and how you experience oh, the pandemic? Oh yeah, I'm. I mean, I will say, Nagin, I'm used to that because I'm an actor in Los Angeles, <laughs> and so that's just like our stasis. Everyone's like, yeah, life could be so much better, and you're always just sort of being dragged down, right? Um, so I did feel that a lot, and I also felt drained, especially by like the 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 zoom element of it and having to like connect emotionally through the screen with loved ones with family members for wedding like the fact that everything happened in the same box whether it was a funeral a wedding a birthday yeah a happy hour a work call um and that was really hard to sort of wrap my head around at first but I also think one of the reasons why it was such a good moment or the way that I was able to use it to my advantage rather is I I feel like as I get older I don't know what the percentage is but I feel like I'm drifting more towards introvert than extrovert and I felt like I used to be more towards extrovert when I was when I was in like high school I don't know now I find myself recharging a lot more alone and wanting to read or wanting to, you know, those simple pleasures right, of like right. having a cup of tea, 
sitting alone silently in my bedroom. Like that is heaven. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so those moments were at first were recharging. And then it got to the point where, yeah, I, I was. I just have to get up. You know, we all, I, need, ba- I was, we all need balance. Sure. I mean, that's yeah. Right. That's yeah. I mean, the, the, this piece will tell you basically don't, you know, recharge or whatever. But basically, if you're going to be happy, it's going to be with people. Uh, right. But uh, the um, the and it talked about introverts also thinking that they need that they need a lot of alone time and not realizing that they're experiencing emotional contagion every day and that it's affecting yes. them in a positive way. Um, but one before our, our brilliant producer, Julia, found this article and sent it to me. But before she even sent it to me, literally on Sunday, I was walking through the streets of New York, as I'm known to do. <laughs> and I saw, I walked by multiple bars that had TV set up for the European Championship League or whatever that thing is. And yes. it was like Italy versus somebody, England or whatever. And anyway, <laughs> I was like, I don't it, I, it had nothing to do. I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know what it was. But we walked by so many bars and it was like tons of people were watching this game and we would go from like place to place to just walking through Manhattan. Right. And you see, you know, you just walk through different neighborhoods and different bars and different, you know, and I was like, Oh my God, this is such a big game. Everybody is paying attention to this game. And my husband literally went, I'm glad they're all experiencing that together. He just said, I'm glad they're all experiencing that together. And then like, you know, a day later, Julia sends this piece. And, but it is, it's like, we felt, I felt excited that all of these people were excitedly watching this one game that I didn't give a shit about. You know what I mean? But I suddenly was just like, that's so fun that people are having fun, you know? But think about like, we, we had done that previously right like super bowl parties right exactly sporting events you know there's people that like love sports all year long but we decided socially collectively as as a group that like you know what if we all just do the Super Bowl, whether you care or not, it's most of the people. It's not even about the Super Bowl. It's just about like I'm going to it's this about place. It's about gathering. Chips yes, and dips. yes. This right. is great. I love yes. it. I'm, and the I'm half-time with time show. Yeah, halftime show. Half- and we're going to experience things, and we're going to have our opinions, and we're all sharing this at the same time, yes. at the same moment. Yes. And anytime we can do that, I mean, it just makes us feel. That's how we connect to each other throughout humanity. I think. Right. Um, well, folks, let me know. <laughs> Have you been experiencing? That's my little... Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> I know. Uh, Clark and I are doing a standing ovation and clapping. Yeah. <laughs> um, can, uh, folks, let me know what you think of collective effervescence. Have you been doing it? Uh, remember, it was a co- term coined by Emile uh, Durkheim in <laughs> during World War One. All right. Um, that is the end of the show. I. I'm so glad you guys were here to collectively effervesce with me. Um, again, that sounds dirty, right? It's it so just dirty. sounds it so dirty. It definitely sounds like you're I, talking about orgies. Like, please, uh, no, <laughs> it's right? It's going to catch on for that And reason. I may be talking about orgies. Doesn't matter. We don't know what happens behind the podcast wall. Um, folks. <laughs> but uh, we know celebrities are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love for the people of Fake Nation to be able to find you and all the work that you do. Bonari Lee Poulton, where do they do that? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Benari Lee, B-E-N-A-R-I-L-E-E. And uh, yes, definitely follow him. And if you get to see him live, he's uh, he was just talking about performing in uh, Los Angeles and in Long Beach. So just go see him. It's a, he's a fucking delight. Clark, where can they find you? 
I'm at Mr. Clark Moore on all platforms, and my podcast is called Soul Bomb, wherever you get your podcast. Oh, my God. And you should absolutely be subscribing because, I, I mean, I think his level of delightfulness on this podcast has just made that a clear uh, mandate <laughs> for all of us. Okay. Uh, and folks, you know where to find me and all of the things that we should not be looking at uh, on social media. Um, but I wanted to also point out that my new column um, for the Progressive Magazine has just dropped. It is called To Breed or Not to breed and it answers the question Ooh. about whether or not you should have kids so check out what that we were piece. talking about before we got on here oh exactly we yes. were just exactly we were talking about emotions having emotions as a parent and those emotions are horrible but you should still have kids maybe i don't know read my column and then you'll know uh that's to breed or not to breed in the progressive but i what i really want to do is thank all the people that make this show possible that's our wonderful producer julia uh linden sorry what did i say producer our wonderful producer julia linden our wonderful sound engineers, Stephanie Aguilar, all the wonderful people at HeadGum. I need to find another word for wonderful because they are wonderful, but it's like synonyms, Nagin, synonyms. Our fantastic theme music was written by Gabby Alter. Um, and I ask you this every time, but please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because uh, it helps people find the show. It really does. I'm not a celebrity, so I need stuff like that. <laughs> um, email us at fakethenation at headgum.com with any of the ideas you might have. Oh, and don't forget to join the Patreon. Uh, you get bonus content. You get bonus essays. You get t-shirts, mugs. There's so many levels of support. You can do that at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And folks, uh, we'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.